0: Welcome back to Between the Levees. Um joined again on a lonely Valentine's Day in a hotel in Nashville uh, by Mr. Charlie Kulagi, who of course is uh in his own situation in St. Louis. Um That's right. Introduce- we are. <laughs> <laughs> introduced uh you about a month ago to uh to this podcast audience and got a few comments from a few folks you know and a few folks you don't i'd like to start with that tell me how you met john esser he he said on his, his first comment on one of our uh, one of our publications that uh, y'all met at memco and you you were great to work with so yeah share yeah, some, share some memories about old john how you met and and then some, maybe some stories
1: yeah well 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 john he was a he was a tank at the time i was fresh out of the military so i was 21 i guess And John would have been, I want to say John was probably 10 or 15 years my senior because he had been in the Army in the early 80s. You know, he was, you know, we would swap some sea stories. Although he was in the Army, I was in the Navy, we would swap uh, military stories. But he was on the the first towboat that I ever caught after I got out of the Navy as a civilian, you know. And, uh, and he was a great guy to work with because there was a lot that I, I mean, even though I had been in Navy for four years, the rivers, compl- I mean, it's like apples and oranges, you know, and John was a good guy to work with because he wasn't one of the finger point inmates, you know, who just sat around and smoked and, and put ass templates into the couch kitchen and, and ate bonbons all day, you know, because they're, because those did exist. And John, John was always, uh. He was always willing to show you how to do something, explain it. If he didn't have time right then, because if we were busy, you know, talk, you know, say if he was talking to in or something at nighttime. And if I had a question, he would always come back and address it for me. And I really appreciated that about John. You know, he wasn't one of the guys, Oh, I'll just do it. Cause I said, so, you know, so that's what I remember about John. But yeah, he was the mate on the, on the first. And I remember asking John one day, I said, I said, you know, John, have you thought about going to the powerhouse? And And he just—he was very, I think, uh, very happy and and very happy with the work that he he did on deck and knew that he was providing a service because he did—he did a quality bang-up job. John did he? If he built a tow, buddy, you knew it would—it'd be all right, you know. So yeah, I haven't—I haven't seen John though in years. I mean, I guess the last time I probably saw John was waving from the pilot house to the head of tow, maybe after he was leaving a lock or something. You know, I've done that, I believe, in the past, but that's – I can't tell you the last time I talked to John. I think he's from Arkansas, John is. You know, everybody's brothers or cousins and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, yeah, he's, there's a lot of fellows from from Arkansas that, 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 that work on the lower, you know, quite a bit. I mean, I, I'm sure now with um, – you know, just with population expanding the way that, that it has and the industry growing and the industry changing. I'm sure now that there's a lot more, I guess you'd say diversity and where the people are from. But for the most part, if you rode a boat on the lower, there were a lot of guys from the states of Arkansas and Mississippi and stuff because they boarded a river, you know. And Arkansas, specifically and Mississippi, because those were they were there were a lot of fellas i worked with that when they were growing up in their youth they were poor you know so going out on the boats for them was a, it was a steady the steady income it was a good life
0: you know Yeah, you know, old john s or who else hit you up before we uh move on to to the next guy i've got on the list here any good stories coming to mind from that first trip uh with him on the boat yeah yeah
1: because and i can say this and because it's 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 all in good fun but john you knew as as john's deck is john's deckhand you could always find him in either the galley in the mate's office which was his you know he would leave his bedroom door open so he could do pay or the shitter one of them three places if you were having kickback time you know well i forget how or why i mean it's my first trip and you know my, my head was in the clouds half the time anyway but we had double spiked the barge i don't know if you know what that means but it's it's not a very seaworthy thing to do it was on the ohio river and pool water i believe i'm not sure all the all the conditions i was i was just a deckhand but either way we weren't going to travel with it far but we broke that son bitch off and and tony to, to, tony standberry it was 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 the pilot on there and i still know tony to this day and he uh, <laughs> you broke it off. And, and John, I didn't, you know, be, you know, you know, back then um, the mates had a radio, not all the time, but they would have one usually for, for the vessel. And then, and then it became more of a commonplace thing. And the reason why I say that is because now every deck crew, every person on deck rather has a radio that they can take to their room or whatever, that if you have an, 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 emer, an emergency, you, you can turn on your radio and find out kind of what's going on, get on this, on the security channel or wherever, you know, that back then I'm I'm out in the deck locker when, when this thing starts breaking off, you know, I'm, I'm in there rolling a bugler listening to some old America, you know, jamming out, you know, and all of a sudden John comes running through the deck locker on the, it was the Harry Waddington. It was an older boat built back in the, I want to say the 60s it was the lady patricia patricia i think anyway it was an older boat but he come running out of the deck clocker and he he had his pants he was pulling up he had been in the shitter when that alarm went off and his radio was attached to his work vest well if a man was you know back then if a guy was using i'm sure they do it and now too if a guy's using the bathroom and he had his work vest on he just take it off and you lay it on the floor until you're done and put it back on. Oh, well, John's running through. And I'm like, well, what's going on? You know, because I, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear the general alarm, nor did I have a radio. But I just, I hightailed it to follow John. But it was one of the funniest things, I guess, for me, because to see John running through the deck locker with his, with, with, with his half his drawers undone, that told me something was going on. He was moving. He wasn't stopping to get dressed. He was getting dressed while he was moving. Because John, John was very physically, he might have, if you at first looked, you, when you looked at John, you might have thought, eh, you know, man, John was a stout son of a bitch, man. And to why I, I thought, well, shit, I better follow this guy. And man, I didn't. Yeah, we had busted up, you know, but I guess that that's, that's my little funny story about, about John specifically, because every time I think of him, I think one of three places, the galley, the shitter or the mate's office and on that day he came out of shitter boy and he was come on we're busting up boys come on you know
0: yeah and that was on your first trip out there yes sir it was yeah uh, mm-hmm. how how was it catching barges and what kind of shape were you in back then just out the navy
1: uh, i was you know i've never been a very um you know large muscular and like muscle toned person but i've always i've always been able to you know i go I've always had endurance for whatever I have needed to do. So I was in good shape, you know, decent shape. I wasn't like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I didn't, I wasn't like Roseanne Barr either. You know, I, I tried to eat right and, you know, walk a few days a week, especially once I got into pilot house, cause I was really young and I didn't want one of big old donut munching barrel asses whenever I was 40 or 50. So I, I tried to exercise when I, when I was on the vessel but that's not to say that, I mean, look at me now, you know, I'm just, you know, like sometimes we, 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 we try to do better in one area because we know in another one that we're not doing so well <laughs> to compensate. Right. I'm, so, I'm sorry. What did you say that about with a uh, John?
0: No, anything else to share about him before we uh, go on to the next guy? No, no, I just, uh,
1: John, John just makes me smile, man. He's a good fellow. I'm really glad that, that, uh, that I'm really glad also that, that he, um, I saw one comment, I believe you sent it to me, but I appreciate his, um, I guess you'd say understanding of my situation instead of being belittling. And that means a lot to me. So,
0: yeah, no, I didn't get any, uh, any belittling commentary, anything like that, uh, so far, at least on the, on the channel, but the next uh next name I saw was uh, Randy Porsche how did you meet him
1: Randy oh Randy Captain spice yeah Randy boy, oh boy boy Rand ran, ran, Randy was captain on the Marie Sanac and uh, which from 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 Senac to, towing and he he had and I and I and I joined the company without ever having seen the golf before ever you know in, in terms of the ditch running east and west but here i had the license to run it you know so i didn't try to i didn't try to bullshit them i told them the truth and they hired me but i asked them i said you know if you guys could if you wouldn't mind to put me with someone who's willing to work with me a little bit instead of maybe one of the old grumpy bastards you know that looks at me as a generational you know stain or something and they put me with Randy. Randy, I want to say, is probably about 10 years older than me, maybe. So, you know, as far as that goes, the age. But he was just – Randy was really a good – he was a good captain for sure, uh, a damn good uh, navigator. But the thing I liked about Randy as a human being, as a person, was he knew that I I didn't I didn't know that run. And, and, and I didn't try to bullshit that either, you know. And, uh, the, and when we were, say, if he was getting ready to go down and go to bed and get off a watch, especially at midnight, when I was fixing the tape to take the watch, I mean, that's when a captain's really get You know, he's ready to get some rest, but he would write out for me on paper, you know, like a little diagram of what I could expect to see and how these lights were going to blind me and how this is going to want to set me and how you know, different. And he'd walk me through it. And, but, but he'd say, he would tell me, he'd say, Hey man, I'm right down here. If you need me other times. He wouldn't even say that he would stay up on the tee and just take a little nap until we got there um, to keep me out of trouble. Cause I had never seen it before. And I don't know, you know, man, it spoke volumes to me, I guess, because I was never in a steering program. I never really had anyone take me under their wing, you know? And, and so I, I kind of learned just on my own and what people were willing to teach me people like Randy, Ronnie Calligan, Um, There's a few of them out there that, that, that took time with me as a, as a piloted position rather than being a steersman, you know? And so Randy was, 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 was one of them and a great guy. He, uh, when I, when I got assigned to his boat, he was off sick because he was on, he had had ball cancer. Now I'm not laughing about the ball cancer thing, but I remember when he got back to work and I had never met him before. And I knew we were going to be fine after this, cause he was telling me about his ball cancer. And he said that he had this insur- this 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 cancer insurance policy, which I had just taken out myself with SYNAC, you know, through SYNAC. He had the same one. that he, that he was thirty one or thirty two, I think, when we met, and he had they had just removed his testicle then. But he 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 was he was telling me that it was a good thing I got this insurance because he said that he was using it right then, you know, and he kind of helped me out a little bit on on the idea that here it is, I had, I didn't sign my life away, but $22 a month, you know, for something that I thought would be good in case I needed it, hope I didn't need to type of thing, that he did need it, you know, he, he attributed his cancer to maybe when he was younger, they didn't have, they, they weren't as strict about putting your, you know, your head in the tanks to, you know, for while you were loading and discharging barges, and that's a lot more safe now, but I, I think that he, that he thinks that that's maybe part of why he had cancer at such a young age. But good, good, great guy. Matter, matter of fact, he hit me up uh, with a text message here a couple weeks ago, I guess right after the podcast, maybe. But I haven't seen Randy in, in quite a few years at this point, unfortunately. He lives in southern Louisiana down in, in Bayou Terrebonne down to buy it boy great family man i love them people dude <laughs> uh, i mean you talk about some fun hard work i mean we would work our nuts off on that Maurice you dude. all if that boat was tied up because we were waiting to discharge or pump and we were just sitting there we didn't sit idle randy made sure everybody painted and cleaned up the boat and whatnot but he'd be right there with you but come about four or five o'clock, buddy, we'd knock off ship's work, and, you know, we all did it together, so it was kind of fun, you know, Randy was that kind of guy to work with, man, he was a great fellow to ride a boat with, great guy to ride a boat with, because, <laughs> you know, we had to cook for ourselves in those boats and everything, you know, he probably still does now, I think most of the boats, Randy could run probably any boat that he gave him, he could probably run the big ten fives and all that shit, but, I don't think that Randy's ever worked on boats, maybe more than four or five men on, on the vessel. And I think part of maybe why Randy is, is where he is now today. I don't know this, by the way, I'm speculating. He's got two sons, one of his boys, Dustin, the youngest, he works on, on the boats now and he's licensed. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that they work at the same company, Tim. And I think that because of that, that, that you know, they that they probably put up with a certain amount of bullshit for each other to work around each other with the same folks. I guess I don't know, but I'm speculating that because I I think most companies have gone away from families being able to ride together anymore. You know, sometimes you would have a captain and his and his son would be the mate, or the cook would be the captain's wife. You know, that was common, and I don't think you see that very 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 much now.
0: Yeah, we didn't cover it the first go round, but uh, what was the uh, the culture shock? I guess in South Louisiana compared to Saint Louis.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing is, for me, I was also at the time was was because the way my life was structured or unstructured was this was before before I settled down to be a dad, you know, and all that that I was working for Synac two two for one, you know, twenty eight and fourteen, and I had been working day for day for Memco. So I felt like I was being punished working 20 and 14, you know, I thought, man, this is for the birds. It's nine months out of your shit. But I thought I'll do it now because I needed experience, you know. And so anyway, I uh, of going down there, I had been exposed to southern Louisiana somewhat, you know, but I really had never immersed myself in the culture. And what happened with me, Tim, was working for Senac because they didn't have a travel I guess you'd say redeeming program. I would balling on a budget. I would just stay down, down and buy you bone or buy you do or anywhere on my days off, especially, you know, if I was working 20 and 10 for a while, those 10 days, you really got like nine off or eight, you know, depending on how far you got to travel to catch a goddamn boat. So because of that, I was single, man, I, I, I pitched a tent so to speak for eight days at, Oh, for one. And one of those, uh, uh, like suburban lodges or extended stay places where you can buy your own coffee and do your own stuff there. And um, where's this thing? I'm sorry, buddy. There we go. And so anyway, what, what I, what I guess I found, I found the most interesting at first was I thought everyone down here, I know they're speaking English, but of course, and I mean, we all know it's a it's the Cajun, Acadian accent, I guess you'd say, but it was one of those things that kind of threw me back a little bit. Especially when I would go to, you know, places like in the country in the smaller communities, sometimes man it was really hard to understand them. Some bitches, and they were speaking English, but it was just the way that they spoke it, I guess. And so that was kind of something, I guess, at first. The other thing, though, for me culturally, I guess, was well, it was two things really. One was the food, you know, because in the, I mean, I mean, obviously regional no matter where you go in the the United States, there's going to be something for wherever you go, probably, depending on what they're, you know, and, and I really enjoyed the cuisine. So, so, so that was different. But the other thing was, was the culture of the people like on the weekends, man, that I was blown away by things such as like a small community. I'm going to say community. I mean, I forget what the exact numbers are to be called community township, all that shit, but the smaller areas where, they'll be like on a dance, like on a Friday night, you'll have two or three generations of families at one of these like barn style dances, where the guys are all kind of, you know, crisp denim, you know, and these big old white shirts that are the big old uh, hats on. And, and they, and they know certain step dances and whatnot, but everybody's friendly as can be. And everybody's doing these, I guess you'd say wholesome get togethers. Uh, Not a lot of booze involved to speak of a little bit. I mean, but other than that it was just a whole different breed of people for me for me it was and they were and they and they had a way of life in some of those areas i'm talking about that i think if a person could try to imagine i don't know somewhat of a i don't want to say a utopian society because that's but something kind of just you know like like off a of tv of something from a little bit earlier of yesteryear i guess you would say that's that's kind of how it felt it was almost like a safe comfortable feeling you know because well, this is one thing about them. Well, it's about any any group, I guess, but about the Cajuns I found. I got along with them great, and they, but they're like anyone else. Man, if, if you cross one of them, if you piss one off, you're probably going to piss off the whole bunch that's with that person that I'm just glad I, I fell in their good graces because they treated me well, you know. I mean, I really, I, I, I never wanted for anything when I was amongst the country Cajun folk. I just never did, whether it be drinks or food or good, you know, just bullshitting, just really good people to get along with, I think. So and that's something that I think that, you know, you miss when you when you grow when you grow up in an inner city like North St. St. Louis, you know, I'm not saying that that was just horrible. It's just it's different, you know. But it is horrible. You don't want to grow up there.
0: <laughs> I do that. I mean, it uh, sucks, it- man. Huh? Does uh any other uh, any other stories on the job about Randy come to mind?
1: None that I should share on the on the air.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, so no. that. yeah. <laughs> That'll work. Oh, well, yeah. The next name that popped up uh was uh, was Franklin Gravel. And pardon me if you're out there listening, to, I'm mispronouncing that one. But
1: no, no. Uh, Great, yeah, Frank Gravel, yeah. Uh, Franklin, man, he. I haven't thought of Frank in a long time. He uh, he hit me up with a text here a couple of days ago as well. Frank was um for a long time, he was mate, second mate on the Keith Darling. And um and he was on Brent's rotation, one one of the captains on that bus. So anyway, I rode with Frank for a number of years. I mean five years, I guess. And we would we would we would work together. Two weeks out of out of our four weeks together at a time. It's about the same age. He's from Southern Missouri, and uh, reads a lot. One of those guys that that I felt I felt like I would think shit because it, it seemed like he could catch the boat with like a duffel bag full of books, and that's something that should be done with them with within a few weeks. You know, just a reader. Um, I don't know if he still does now with technology and internet and everything, but. Yeah, Frank Grable. And and anyway, I I got win um, not too long ago. And I don't know on which vessel, but that Frank is now pi- is now pilot for ACBL. So I so I reckon he went from being on deck on the on the Keith Darlin. He was probably with Wendell, I'm guessing, on his rotation before he died. Um that maybe he got his, well, and Frank has had his license. Frank had his license when, whenever I worked with him on the Keith Darling. but he hadn't really had any stick time, you know? Yeah. I haven't thought of Frank in a while. I hope he's doing well, man. Good guy. <laughs> Good guy.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can get some or all of these guys on the show one of these days, but uh, the next one on the list here was uh, Mr. Rudy Ward.
1: Rudy Ward, by God, man, good guy there. He's uh, Rudy Ward. When I, when I, when I, when I think of Rudy automatically, what comes to my mind is like an explosion almost, you know, like, you know, like, Oh shit, you know, like World War II or something, something going off on the side of you, you know, without you knowing it until it because, because he's very, he's, he's boisterous, but not in a rude way. I'm just saying he's, 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 he's got volume whenever he speaks, but what I appreciate about about Rudy is, uh, I had I had I had been running the Upper Mississippi, and and so I was a I was a pilot, you know, and I hired in to work the lower, and I really didn't know the lower. I was kind of I was winging it, it, to some degree. I had been helped to some other degree. Anyway, long story short, was cell phones had had come out. They had been out a little while, long enough anyway that. It was a good, I found it was a good resource, I guess you'd say as a tool actually, because I mean, although it can be a distracting tool to have a network of a few guys on the midnight watch that you might trust of being familiar with an area that maybe you're either A, not very familiar with, or B, you've been on your days off at home and this person's been on the vessel. you might call them and say, hey, hey, Captain, did you go through this spot, you know? how's it look type of thing. Rudy was one of those guys for me at the beginning of my, of my work in the lower because he had, Rudy's been around a long time and he's a very seasoned, accomplished pilot. And anyway, what I remember is this is I hadn't made the upper Baton Rouge bridge before by myself. And, um, I had seven wide on the, not the old Harry Waddington that John Esser and I were on, but the second Harry Waddington, which was also an, an older boat, Tim, that, that Memco had acquired. They sunk some money into about five boats that were really old, but they put some money into them, trying to, trying to make them better for the crew and everything. We were a 7200 though. So normally we carry 30 to carry 35 on that boat. You know, it, it, it was a little bit of work, and I was coming down above Baton Rouge. I hadn't, there wasn't enough water to flank the Port Allen span. It wasn't high enough, and I hadn't flanked the Baton Rouge span before. So my phone call thing, and Rudy, and how all that kind of ties together is, is Rudy, I, I called him when I was at Tiger's office going down, and just said, hey, Cap, if you got a minute? I'm coming down above the bridge. And I'm going to, I'm going to flank the Baton Rouge span. And you know, man, he stayed on the phone with me, Tim, until I was through there and clear. He said, I got time. He says, you go ahead and just stay on the phone with me. He says, I'll talk you through that bridge, flanking it. And he stayed on the phone with me. And man, that meant a lot to me. You know, it, it, it really helped me to have him explain. I, while he was talking me through it and I'm doing it. I mean, I knew some of the basics, but I, I had never flanked that span of that bridge before. To begin with, and then not to mention doing it seven wide on a on a boat that when you come ahead on it, you ain't gonna be moving real soon, buddy. It's gonna squat and piss for a minute before she decides to start crippled away, cause it was overloaded. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and I and I remember Rudy telling me he said, "Charlie, when that head when it starts coming out now, he says you you jam on her. You don't mess around with the throttles, buddy. You jam on her." I said, "Okay, man, Rudy, I'll jam on her." And buddy, I did, I drove that, I drove that. Yeah. But if I get excited or I guess it's anxiety and I don't know the difference, I'm still learning what panic attacks are and anxiety and how to, you know, so anyway, I'm a mess, man. Uh, Rudy Ward, good guy. Great guy. He's, and in case you haven't, I don't know if they're still doing it or not Tim since COVID because I've not been in the, in the loop, but I do know up until I resigned that Rudy, Rudy Ward. And, 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 and a few other gents every year that they, they put on a picnic down in Lake Village, Arkansas. And it's something that they've done since pilots agreed that turned into, you know, just a family oriented kind of a, it it didn't matter if you were a cook or from the office or a pilot, anybody was, was welcome to come. And, 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 And they didn't even ask for money or anything. They put out a spread, man. You know, they just keep like a little kitty in the front if you want to throw in a few bucks. But they would smoke bologna and whatnot at this little camp, this little clubhouse. And Rudy kind of, you know, he plays a big part in all that because he lives nearby. And he's got all the equipment for all that crap, man. All All the grilling, you know, the big old long grill and all that shit or whatever they had on the tailgate of the truck. Either way, it's a great family day and a lot of good food. And you get a chance to meet a lot of folks that, you might not have had a chance to physically meet otherwise, but that you might know on the radio for 10, 20, 30 years, you know, on the Marine radio. So it's kind of neat, you know, and Rudy's Rudy, Rudy played a a very big part in that. So I don't, I don't know if they're still doing it. Like I say, since COVID changed a lot of things and I've been out of the industry, but they used to do it every year and around, around Easter in the spring. If
0: you get wind of it. Yeah, I'll be sure to check it out. I think I was added to a Facebook group with the that same event you're talking about. But uh, was there any more to that story when, when he said throw those throttles forward? Yeah, no, no it
1: was just one of those things that, that I, felt like, I felt like that from that point on from me that if Rudy ever said jump, I would ask how high. I would do anything I could for the man after because he helped me out in a situation where I was, I was nervous. I mean, there's no sense in trying to bullshit and tell you I was be stoic or no, I was, I was nervous. <laughs> you know um, you go to do something like that for the first time by yourself and you've never done it. You've never seen it. Even I had never seen that Tim. So, you know, you're trying to maneuver something that's four five, six, seven acres out there and, and it's not going to just turn like a car does in your driveway, buddy. It takes a minute or five. <laughs> and Rudy, I felt like, after that, he was always, he's been a solid guy with me anyway, I felt like he's been pretty flat-footed, Rudy's told me when he's disagreed with me, and I respected him at the end of the day for, you know, he's a Christian man, and leads, leads kind of a different life than what I do, but I think that we had a common interest in the river, and, and of our children, too, he's a good family guy, and he really took a liking to my son, Charlie, when he was small, so, it's hard to believe now because Charlie's grown and married that when he was just a little bitty turd, he was out there brushing horses with Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Ward's horses, you know, to ride them, you know. <laughs> Make us biscuits and gravy, man. Then go over in our Wellington boots, you know, the old coon-ass Reeboks, you know, the ones I'm talking about, don't you? Them knee-high son bitches. I do. And walk over to that pasture and, and Charlie's like, I thought we were going to ride the horse. He goes, you got to brush the horse first, son. Come On get busy. Earn them biscuits and gravy you just had. Because man, his wife, man, she could cook, buddy. She made some pimento cheese sandwiches. I mean, all kinds of just good a wholesome just food, you know, just, just right there at home, you know. You know, having especially having a woman's touch, man. I miss that. You know, having a, a family environment and, and and they've got it where, where 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 Rudy's at with his wife and his and his kids in Greenville. Well, he's on the other side of Greenville. Actually, he's on the Arkansas side. Yeah, good guy, though. Great guy. Great shape, too. I don't know if he still does, but I think Rudy and I had the same mindset that sitting in a pilot house 12 hours a day is not good for your body. So he, I know that he exercised before he would get on watch, and so did I. I. I used to exercise about five days a week, but anyway, he would do um, I think Captain Rudy did weights and stuff as well. I never did weights. I just walked and just calisthenics, an push-ups, sit-ups. But I think Rudy worked with, like, bands and weights and whatnot. But he's by my dad's age, so Rudy's, I'm guessing, probably 70, it, about 70, I'm guessing. I don't know if he's still tripping or not or still working, but I know he's probably still sharp.
0: Sounds like a hell of a friend to have, man, for sure. Uh, the next guy on the list, I actually just just wrote it down as we've been talking. Uh, not a boat guy. Uh, Jeff Kiefer wrote to me and said, "To his, to your credit, Charlie's story was to educate others and not for his own attention." He's a great guy, and I was always fortunate to have him on the team. Uh, did you meet? Did you meet him before the incident when you when you jumped boat? Um, Yes,
1: I had been to a a a small company meeting lecture of some of some sort that 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 he was. I think he spoke for five or ten minutes, but it was one of those things where he was speaking to a group of people. He may not have remembered me. I remembered him because he was the person we were paying attention to. So when we met in Cape Girardeau on the day that I, I jumped out and got in trouble that was the first time I think that really Jeff was going to meet me, but I had already met, I, I had already seen him before in the past. And But that, that was my one time of meeting Jeff B before I jumped boat that day.
0: What did he think? Good of guy, your fan- though, Jeff. What did he think of your fan club? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, uh, he really, I felt like, I felt like that I felt like that he was he was willing to work with with both he and and the other guy that you know that I had an altercation with to try to to try to make things a little bit better for both of us so he was kind of he's kind of one of those people in general I think that if he if he looks at a situation that's pretty shitty he probably tries to see not only what he can do to make it better but to make it better for everyone involved not just so I, I appreciated that about Jeff. Another thing that really spoke volumes to me early on was, I forget what year, but in the 2000s, Southern, Southern, Southern Missouri and Illinois, Southern Illinois were hit with it with an ice band, right? This, this weirdest freak thing that happened, you know, and and for a few days, there were people in, in certain areas of the rural community that couldn't get out of their house, you know, from the roads and whatnot. Uh, one of our port captains was Jimmy Brown. He was affected by it, but he lived in a smaller community in Columbus, Kentucky. Point is um, was Jeff called, called around to folks that lived in those areas. Asking them, and I know this only because I worked with Captain Ronnie Calligan, he was a Captain, I was pilot, that, that Ron, Ron, Captain Ron had been on the phone one day when I walked up into the pilot house with Jeff, that when they hung up, he told me what, you know, briefly, he just said, man, he goes, that was really, that was nice of him. And he told me what he did was that he said, hey, man, you guys need anything, you need any generators, you need any assistance, you know, and I thought, wow, man. I mean, here it is that, I mean, this company's got barges and, and you know, and cargo to transport and customers to keep happy. And and he knows that there were, there were a few employees affected by this and he wanted to check on them. And I, I just really thought that was nice of him because obviously it took time out of his day, you know, I mean, it's not free. I mean, he's got it. I mean, it takes time to do stuff of that nature for somebody. And to me, that's what I've learned, by the way, if I can give one little piece of philosophy in my whole, Two or three sessions that we've done together, Tim, is I've learned in my short or long life, however you want to look at it at this point, that the one most precious gift that you can give anyone in the world is time. Time. Because it's not coming back. And 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 that's all we have. All these material things, this candle, this desk, this this is all material shit, man. None of this is like time is the only thing we truly have i think as human beings that's my opinion that when someone gives you their time and they don't expect anything in return that speaks volumes man and that's jeff Kiefer, dude right there <laughs> that's my philosophy on time though then jeff jeff rolls into that he does <laughs> good I do guy
0: appre- i do appreciate you sharing your time with me but i really do um
1: I do too, man. I thank you. I mean, you're on your time off. Hell, you could be doing something besides hanging out with me for Valentine's. Although I am one sexy son bitch. I know that, you know, you don't have to tell me later on. I'm,
0: I'm already aware. <laughs> I won't argue it. Uh, what I was going to ask too, though, did you end up back on that boat with the gentleman that you had the altercation with?
1: No. Um, no, as a matter of, of fact, Uh, To my understanding, I think that he was kind of demoted. I guess you'd say he lost his captain's spot. I lost my bonus that year. So those were our punishments. And when he got demoted, um, I don't think that he liked the situation that he was put into. So he resigned a while after. But no, I was not put back on the same boat with him. And... Unfor- unfortunately, the river was not big enough for the two of us. And I don't wish anything ill because he's already gone, but so I didn't wish him to be harmed. But he, he was killed in a motorcycle wreck. But the river wasn't big enough for the two of us after that. Because it didn't matter where we were, that some bitch would try to come by inside and side inside and and swipe me and put wheel wash in my fucking engine room, man. You know, that's dangerous, dangerous stuff for the crew, you know, and then it pissed me off and he, you know, it just, but I can't, I can't worry about it now. But that's, that's how I, that's how much anger I felt towards that man, Tim. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I lost my bonus that year and I'm sorry I've maybe set a bad example for some. But maybe I set a good example for others not to take lip from a tyrant, you know, because all, because I felt like what I asked for was reasonable and justified. And maybe that's why he was demoted in, in the process. I don't know. I'm saying maybe that's why, because sometimes people really are assholes and they're in leadership positions, unfortunately. And that's, that was one of, the reasons why I jumped out that, that day. Cause I thought I'm a human being. I don't give, I don't care if I'm pilot or cook or engineer. If I, if I'm still a crew member, I'm a human being, man, you got, you got to talk to me as if you want to be talked to. And that wasn't happening. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to tolerate it. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've, I've been assaulted by you know by 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 better or worse but he yeah so no we never caught a boat together after that
0: well the next handful of people i've got on the the list here you don't know i don't know that you know i I don't think you know but um i mentioned to you on on a phone call that Kyle Finning runs the Mark Twain YouTube channel. Been doing it for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Lots of videos, lots of views, lots of followers. Uh, I, he hadn't commented really on my YouTube channel much uh, at all, but um, about a week ago, came across your your episodes, and he wrote, thank you, Charlie. Sharing this story is important and needed. What do you think about that?
1: That that, that that makes me feel good and it almost overwhelms me because that's that's about the only reason why I was willing to talk on, on the TV for it is because is because I I I don't know if it's needed. I'm not in the industry any longer. I I've been out now for 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 four for, for four years, but but if if it's if it's going let's put it like this statistically tim it's going on within the industry because it's going on globally worldwide people battle with with addiction you know and unfortunately where a lot of minds still are is they look at addiction with criminalization to where people are afraid to come forward because they feel like once they do they're going to have this label, and they will, unfortunately, because I know I'm dealing with it right now. I couldn't get back on the boats now if I tried, even if I felt like I wanted to and I was mentally competent and everything else. I wouldn't be able to because of a few stipulations regarding mental health. I mean, it's not like I've done something violent or anything else, but that's that's what the, the stigma with substance abuse falls into mental health. And so there's probably guys out there and I'm saying, guys, I can I can tell you, Tim, uh, I'm still learning about it's called neuroscience. There was a neuroscientist that I watched on he on he's 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 a doctor on the TED Talks thing. And what he said, they had done some some different data uh, 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 statistics in New York in terms of the numbers was that 80 percent. 80% 80% of of people i guess you would say that are addicted i forget exactly how how he worded it but out of the 100% of drug users 80% of them are normal everyday tax paying family raising people that you may not know they're addicted you may not know or or it might it may not be something illegal so you, it may not it may not seem like it's an addictive thing to them but he was saying that 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 unfortunately if something is illegal then obviously you know you 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 you've got to worry about that but 80 to 90% he says only 10 to 20% of those people are people who are i guess you'd say what you see of stereotype homeless on the streets yada 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 and um and so that makes me feel good to think that this guy Kyle says that maybe it's 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 needed because I would hate to think that someone someone wouldn't do what I did, which is, and I'm not saying I deserve a cookie or a pat on the back, but if I've done one good thing in the last five years, it's been resigned from my position because I was afraid that if someone got, got hurt, that I was going to be to blame no matter what, because I had, dope, if I had dope in my system, so. I don't uh, know he- if that makes sense or not, but that's, but that's the best thing that I think I've done because every other decision that I've made has bled to this spiral backwards that you're looking at now that I'm living in. And unfortunately it it's, it's still going that way, but that's the one good thing I think I've done. To have some sort of integrity was that I was lucky that I resigned. If someone get if someone get, gets gets caught and tests positive with someone hurt, they're asking for prison time, buddy. They got to be careful. That's why I'm glad I quit when I did because I didn't want someone get hurt. Me going to prison, uh, shit, I wouldn't last five minutes in a prison, buddy, <laughs> especially now.
0: <laughs> but oh, yeah. Kyle. Kyle said too, that, uh, you know, to this day, I mean, there's still a fair amount of, of people fighting the same fight you were, uh, with, with your, your addiction. Um, do you know of any others person? No names, of course, but I mean, similar stories of battling addiction.
1: You mean, you mean on the vessels? Yep. No. And it's funny that it's funny that, that you asked that Tim, because, I don't know if you know who he is. Randy Chamness worked for ACBL. He was a port captain over there. And when I came forward with my with my addiction issue to the to the company, I called Randy on on speaker actually, and just I was up front with him to tell him the truth that as the process was unrolling, and this this is kind of a it'll it'll answer your question as the process was unrolling of what I was going to do next and what I was going to do next. We got to a point that I called Randy one day. I said, okay, Randy, well, I've done this and this. I said, what do I do next? Do I do, I do this? And, he, and this when this was his answer. He says, you know, geez, Charlie goes, I don't know, man. He said, you know, you're the first guy that I know that's ever came forward with having a drug, a drug problem. He said, we've never really dealt with something like your situation. He said, normally it's either, you know, that, that, that we find out through a bad urinalysis and then someone loses their, their job and we don't even talk to them. He said, so I don't know what your next steps are. But that that one statement told me, I thought, shit, because and I can see why, Tim, because of the repercussions. I mean, yeah, I'm glad I quit. I am glad I resigned. I mean, but also look at what I gave up, man. I mean, you've, I, you've either got to almost be, I think, really weak-minded or really strong-willed, one or the two, to do something like that because I gave up, you know, and it's funny whenever people say that they lose, oh, you know, drugs will make you lose this or make you, you'll lose your house and your family. You know, you don't lose anything, man. You give it up is what you do. You surrender it because you you don't need it anymore. And before you know it, Everything that you have, all your freedoms that you've worked for, your accomplishments that you've worked for, that you've earned are gone. Mm -hmm. And not to resurface because of, of irreparable damage. That in itself, I would look at myself and say, what were you thinking, you dumbass? Why not just stop the dope and stay on the boats and get your shit together? You know, I mean, that was the way I was brought and raised up, Tim, was you just you just you just did what you had to do and and you took it like a man and you did you you didn't you didn't uh, say you had an addiction or some something of a bad nightmare or whatever which i always thought all that stuff was bullshit until it happened to me i always thought man what a disability what a lazy bum that fucking guy must be but here it is now, that's the one thing I've applied for because I paid into that for 20 something fucking years and I got denied it for PTSD because I don't have any documentation and I'm not currently in, in, in treatment because I don't have insurance for PTSD. So because of that, I was denied. So I gave up a very good income for I mean someone's got to be ready but if if they're addicted they're going to know because I'm going to tell you if you're listening to this if you're suffering addiction is suffering if a person starts suffering they should just go on ahead and quit the river and chalk it up as a good experience met some good people learned a lot of great life lessons but that's not the place to be if you're you if you're using something illegally or in an addictive manner do you know what the definition of addiction is Tim it's the repeated process of a harmful event substance habit that the user continues to do knowing the harm despite knowing that i it's sometimes i i know i shouldn't because it's not nice but i call myself stupid instead of addicted because say you know here it is i know what it's can do to me and yet i would still continue to do it someone's got to have a few a few loose screws in their head to be doing that shit that's why i feel weak-minded i'm sorry i'm sorry Who 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 who
0: who, who was next, Tim? No, 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 you're good. You're good. And uh, it looks like I actually misspoke uh, on on quoting something that I thought Kyle had said. But there's a, a user on YouTube. Uh, his uh, his name on there is RJ49. I don't think I know his, his real name, but he's been pretty faithfully watching and listening. Um, to, to, you, th- to yourself? Yeah, to the majority of episodes. And two weeks ago, he commented that uh, he just watched the first episode of ours. And uh, this was a great eye opener. I guess it took a lot to open up like Charlie did. And I take my hat off to him for that. I'm looking forward to episode two. And I'm sure this hit a few spots with some people that watch this one. And if it instills some things not to do, well, this does it. The marine industry has a lot of Charlie's great video any commentary on that
1: thank you rj yeah that's really nice i i appreciate it. That that's really a nice way of uh, a nice yeah it was it was that was, was a nice a nice review i think a nice summary of it makes me feel good because like i say i, I mean I, I really i haven't even tapped into the industry to know what is currently going on in terms of stuff like this but me much like most folks in, in life I really didn't keep tabs on, on you don't keep tabs on anything until something affects you, so to speak. And because um, stuff like, I guess you'd say this uh, was kind of out of the realm of me ever being in the bucket of, I, I always, I always passed it off as something that wouldn't happen to me, you know, type of deal. <laughs> Look at me now, buddy. So yeah, that, that is, that's really nice that that he, that he commented about that and, and yeah, if anything, it, it'll bring awareness. Hey, did you see Kulagi on that thing on the YouTube guy? Well, you know, the two guys with the beard. You I mean, they'll be talking about a couple of years from now that it might strike someone then who's possibly battling with something that could cause them their employment or someone's safety that they might be, that they might hear that and say, oh, you mean Charlie Kulagi, the Charlie Kulagi, that one? and you know you know what i'm saying yeah so which actually there's two of us my son has the same name as as i do he carries it better than me
0: Uh, and then finally but a little shorter but uh another another podcast follower her her name on youtube is mrs big bug but uh she said i don't know you charlie but god i just want to give you a hug Oh
1: man, I would love that. I I haven't been, been embraced since I was, I guess I gave a hug to Margie last week. She brought me some Valentine's Day donuts. And the last time I saw someone was Margie a month prior, about three weeks prior. So I would love a hug if I was around. Thank you so much for offering me a hug. I'll I'll put it down the books that you owe me one, sister. <laughs> and i I'll give you one right back.
0: <laughs> I like to hear it, man. It's good to see you smile for sure. <laughs> um you sent me a text the other day. You have some uh kind of random sea stories that came to mind over since we have i guess the first time we oh, met. met
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: but uh you want to walk through those real quick, or yeah, no, I, mean, yeah, t- t- yeah. I I <laughs> say real quick, take all the time you need, but no uh
1: problem.
0: yeah, the first story on your list was uh was Tony's Word of the day.
1: Okay. Tony's. So Tony Stanberry, the guy I was telling you about who was pilot on the Harry one the Harry Waddington and John Esther was mate. Tony, and he still works out there. He, he, Tony has been consistent throughout his career and even throughout. And, and then of course the end of mine, but he has always contacted me to check on me. Um, if we weren't, I guess you'd say if we hadn't spoken a while, you know, if we were, on different boats, but say on similar rotations where we had a chance to bull on the radio in the middle of the night or something, you know, we would, or on the phone, but there were other times we wouldn't talk for a few months and he would always call and check on me. Well, Tony and I, we aren't too far apart in age. He's maybe, I don't know, five years older, I'm guessing, but, but you know, you meet folks from all different walks of life on the boats, you know, and, and anyway, I came from an an upbringing in the inner city with things that were, you know, a little more risque. And I mean, not a lot. I mean, religion is there, I think as a, as a trophy type of thing, put it on your hood ornament type of deal. But I mean, there's a lot of debauchery and shenanigans where I grew up. Okay. Tony, on the other hand, Tony's kind of a proper fellow, you know, Christian guy, you know, Speaks eloquently, enunciates all of his words the best that he can, you know, for being a country fellow. Anyway, I was deckhand on the boat. And I was opposite of Tony's watch. So I was on the captain's watch. And I was in charge of wake-ups. You know what that is?
0: I think so, but fill me in.
1: Well, every six hours, the someone from the crew, if they're available and they're not on on out out on the tow or something, but if they're back at the house and doing normal chores, they'll 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 have someone. They're usually assigned for a couple of weeks at a time that at five and eleven, they will go and knock on the doors and and do wake ups and wake everybody up, you know. And pardon me, pardon me. You would like to think that say you know to transport yourself right now Tim and, and, and you're you're on a on a riverboat going down the middle of Mississippi in the middle of the night, you'd like to think that when you go through and wake and knock on a door and wake a man up that that's the end of your job that it's done but no that's not the case all the time. I mean it's just not. so there's some guys that were real dicks about it they were so adamant like you know I'll write him up or. Well, the way I see it is, is I mean, if the guy had a hard watch to watch before, it might take him a minute or three. And if I've got a minute or three, why not give it to him to make sure he's up? Well, Tony was that guy for me because if I would go into a Tony, I don't think that, that's right. It wasn't. Man, you're going to be even better. Come on. <laughs> Tony wasn't an oversleeper. Come to find out, Tony. That's that's right. I, I had to sit here and think about it. Tony wanted to get up 15 minutes before everyone else uh, on that watch rotation, and I would I would go. Part of my kind of little routine was I would go and I knock on all the doors, and then I would go back in 15 minutes and check again. You know, go back about five minutes later, check again. So I would usually go about three times to check on everyone. Well, Tony specifically wanted up. Fifteen minutes beforehand, and he wouldn't get up though right away. So at eleven o'clock, when I would go through to wake folks up for the regular, I would go in and say, "Tony, why in the hell did you have me get you up fifteen minutes early, buddy? If you ain't going to get out of bed," and he would be laying or sleeping, you know. Well, Tony next to his bed bedside, he 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 had a Bible, of course, and he had a, a dictionary you know he's laying there sleeping i figure, shit so i pick up that dictionary and i randomly opened it up and i forget which word it was but that was the beginning of the word of the day with tony i guess you'd say while i was on that vessel and and what it was was i would flip open that dictionary and whatever page it landed to i would go and i would Go until I found a word that I had never heard before. You know, let's face, there's a lot of words in the English language, man. There's a big vocabulary, and what I would do was I would take that and I would start reading it, and I would repeat over and over and over and over and get closer to Tony's ear, you know. And I mean, so he would, he would finally, he would, he would kind of open up and say, "Okay, Charlie," you know. He would repeat the word of the day with me and this and that. But I asked him, and it wasn't long after. You know, I started doing this. I asked him one. I said, "Tony, why do you get up fifteen? Or why do you want up fifteen minutes early? Why do you want to get woken up early?" Because I said, "You don't get up early anyway." But but why? And he says, "Well, you know, Charlie he says I like to, because on the Harry on the Harry on the on the on the Harry Waddington, it was an older vessel, and there was a community head. You know, like most of the boats now, you're going to have your own private bathroom." Or you might split it with the opposite crew. But either way, I think on that boat there was a community head for the pilot house as well. Either way, he goes, It's because he says, before I go on watch, Charlie, he says, I want to be able to get up and try to move my bowels if I can. I said, Do what now? He says, I want to be able to try to move my bowels. I said, You mean take a crap? He goes, Yeah. I said, Why don't you just say that, Tony? Say crap, man. Say it for once. Come on, you big Christian fella. Say crap one time, you know. And so he would give me the business because I, I did use foul language quite a bit. I didn't – I don't take the Lord's name in vain or anything or cuss people like calling me, But I, I do cuss in context, and Tony doesn't. Tony's a he, – he he lives a different life. And uh, But I thought it was so funny. So I said, well, why don't you get on up and take your crap then? And he goes, because I'm naked. He says, I'm waiting on you to leave. You know, that was – he slept in the nude, I guess, or he told me that he did. It got me out of there pretty quick. But that was the – That was what we did until I left that boat was, I and it wasn't both watches. It was just the one watch for him to get up for the midnight watch that he was difficult to get up, that we would have the word of the day. And it was a word that, of course, now it's been 20 something, 25, 30 years ago. I don't remember any of the words of the day now, but at the time... You know, that was kind of a neat thing for us to do. And then throughout the day, we'd be like, hey, you know, like on the radio to say the word of the day, what the definition was or something. You know, we felt like we were expanding our knowledge. You know, you know old Tony Stanberry, he's still out here. He works for,
0: uh, I believe, Marathon now, nowadays. I think so. Yeah, I think I've seen his name pop up on Facebook. I'm not sure if I've reached out to him to get on this podcast, but maybe one day. BBT. Big Daddy
1: Tony and if you ever get him on the bot on the podcast he'll tell you the story about and oh man who was it that was Jimmy uh uh shit oh he was shit he's uh, he's the guy from uh, the the Gulf Coast anyway have him tell you the story BDT Big Daddy Tony it's a great one man it's about a bathrobe. <laughs> yeah jimmy kazalas that's who it is jimmy kazalas he was kept on a jimmy brown for like two decades or something until they sold the fucking boat and i forget what oh he's maybe on on the mic on the mic on the Mike wise nowadays maybe but a good a good guy to work with fun guy to ride a boat with jimmy kazalas and yeah <laughs> yeah he gave tony that nickname and it stuck with me anyway bdt
0: big daddy tony well, you mentioned uh, taking a crap. The the next story, I'm not sure where we're going with it, but it's uh, Brock's bathroom break. Oh, boy. So
1: I found this interesting, and, and I dealt with it, and I thought it was worth sharing because all of us have different levels of patience, I think, when it comes to dealing with someone who's different than, than we are. Well, whatever that difference might be, you've got to have a certain amount of patience if you're not used to it, I guess. But I've tried to, at times when I feel like I want to, I don't want to say hurt somebody, but when I don't want someone around me, you know, I've tried to reach down deep, real deep, and pull out what kind of kindness I have to, to try to put myself in their frame of mind. Well, here's what happened. Our boat was going into the shipyard. And it was going to be in there a while. It was getting an overhaul on, on, or excuse me, a a refurb done on part of the house and a new room added and whatnot. And they sent the captain and I off the Keith Darling to the Leonard L. Whittington. And they sent us south with 20 loads. (laughs) (laughs) the boat wouldn't stop either when we got because we were sitting there eating dinner cams up there. no no i was up there driving cams down there eating, and we had just gotten on the boat i guess and the and cam didn't know anybody he came up there relieving and told me this he said charlie said, you know they just told me down there I was, because i had i had trouble coming off the fucking dock um um uh 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 um uh, mm, uh uh, right there below Chester. Um, oh, above 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 potato bend. Anyway, there's a dock there. To downstream on that sun, bitch, it can be difficult, right? And but once you do, you back off and you get on, and you're going to Memphis with your co loads, right? Well, I I couldn't get them to back up the the the, the, the loads. So what I did was I told the mate, he had the maul in his hand with his, I said, Kevin, I said, stand out of the way, man. I said, I'm going to take, I'm going to move this, I'm going to move the whole thing out. I'm going to bring her back in. When she slams in, you get you a little slack. I'm knock that keeper off that son of bitch and we'll be going south, not by choice, you know. So he did and I did and that's what we did. And We went south. It was about 30 minutes later, the captain comes up there to take the watch. And he said, man, we're in big trouble. And I said, why? He, goes, <laughs> he said, you know, they just told me down there. He says, I'm down here eating. He says, we just got on the boat. He goes, they said, man, why does he 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 have that 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 one flanking buoy out there? And Captain Brent told me, he said, well, he's going to be backing up, you know, if you play. And they, they said, no one ever backs up on this boat. But the other thing is, they said, we've never seen four wide on it either. <laughs> he said, what? Come to find out, I guess, the regular crew that was working the boat, they had a run from like the upper to the Ohio back and forth, Tim, that they needed a hot shot crew in a moment. And we were on the, in the shipyard and available. That's what it boiled down to. But Brent was Brent's in, said the, the engineer was right, was that that boat really wasn't accustomed for running on the lower because it wasn't set up for it. I mean, it didn't have flanking buoys. It was just going down for a short run. But what in the oh Brock? So so we go down, we get turned around, we're headed north, and I'm coming across this fucking crossing from Shelby Forest, and out of and I got twenty open hopper empties, and 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 I'm in this crossing, and it's a long one, it's you know longer anyway, and I know once I leave the spot that I'm at and I pass it by. I've got to get across this crossing to get to another spot in case the weather turns really bad, you know, and I can see it off in the distance from the west. I mean, I was northbound, right? I can see it off on my left. I thought, eh, I can outrun that, you know? So I'm watching on radar and tooting along. Pardon me. Sorry. And I'm kind of, I've kind of been on edge most of my adult life anyway. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a jumpy fella, kind of nervous, you know. I don't like being uh, surprised or walked in on. uh, You know, I keep my back to the wall type of guy. But the pilot the pilot house door to come upstairs. I heard it open, and I hear these these feet these 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 footsteps trotting up. And about this time, the storm's getting closer. So that's what I've been paying attention to. Thinking, God. Because if you a guy would have had loads, no problem just keep it just keep her going you know you got to worry about waves coming up over into your loads to get water in your in your product but other than that you're you're seaworthy with empties buddy you're gonna be sideways for a while you know So I'm trying to tune in this one shitty radar. I'm going across the crossing life is it's okay but you know I'm paying attention. And up comes these footsteps. The guy that I had met re- recently, a crew member, he's regular on it, His name was Brock. And not to, not to be rude, but anytime someone came up the stairs, if I didn't talk to them initially and start, you know, hey, how you doing, buddy? Usually it meant I was busy. Because if not, I'm going to be cordial enough and say, hey, how's it going? So on the one out of 10 times that I don't say, hey, how's it going? I might be putting all my attention into one thing, right? That I don't, I'm tuning him, I'm tuning him out for the moment, but all of a sudden I start hearing this whistle. You now on that boat, right behind the pilot council is the commode. You swing the latch open for the sattee and, it's on a little wheel and it swings open and you sit down, take a share or whatever you got to do and flush it and close it. This dude's pissing, right? Brock. And so I just, I said, I said, I said, Brock, are you? And he looks at me and, and he and he's, and he's still going, right? He's urinating and he looks at me just real calm, right? And he goes, Hey, let's not, let's not get weird about this, man. I said, I'm not, I'm not getting weird, buddy. I said, I understand that this boat is is not mine. It's not yours. This is company property. So you're welcome to go to the bathroom anywhere you want. I said, it is a little odd though, for you to come up into a pile of lead house work environment and to start urinating just without really knowing a guy and knowing that you passed the one up coming up the stairs to come up here. I can't leave to have privacy. I have to piss and shit over there, you know? So I'm just kind of wondering why you did it. That's all. So about the time I say this, he very confidently and casually zips up his fly. He gives a little rinse to his hands and he looks around and he says, and he says, oh, you really think this is a good idea? I said, what's that, buddy? He said, You can barely see right now. I said, Yeah, I know. It sucks. He goes, Well, why don't you stop? I said, and this at this point, Tim, you you you've got to understand the guys that that were that and there are still some around, but the culture was a lot different. That you 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 wouldn't ask a pilot or captain. Hey, are, are you sure about this type of thing? I mean, it was one of the things where they're on watch. They're the guy making their own decisions. You don't, you know what I'm saying? Type of thing. You just, anyway. But as he asked me, instead of giving him a smart ass answer, one of um, disciplinary kind of authoritarian tyrant type of figure, I thought, well, he's asking, well, why don't you stop? I thought, I'll tell him. I said, well, I can't. I said, right now, I have nowhere to stop. Brock, there's nowhere to stop. If I were to pull back on these engines, Mother Nature is for sure going to be the one in control then. And we're going to go clear over yonder way, over to that dike field. What about over there? He says, on the other one, there's a dike field over there too. He says, um, where does this end? And I looked over at the radar, and I think it was like a mile and a half away. I said, about a mile and a half. You know, we're making four, four and a half miles about another 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, you know. But you're comfortable, he said. And I said, Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I I've I've done this a few times enough to where am I paying attention? Yeah, and and, and still talking to you, but I mean, I'm I tuned into radar the best I could. I know of where I'm at. But if I could be stopped, I would be. I said. This isn't something that I just think is fun. I don't do this to put anyone in danger. This was a safe calculation, and it still is. We're going to be fine. It's just a heavy rainstorm, you know, but it's one of those. Anyway, that, I guess you'd say, uh, that introduction and that experience for me, that relationship for that short amount of time, was a little odd. I don't know if Brock still works out there or not but I thought instead of being just a complete smart ass to this kid, I say kid, he he was grown, but you know, I don't know how old he's probably, you know, 20, 21 or 22, but for him to, you know, well, why not? Why don't you stop? I thought instead of telling him, Hey man, why don't you mind your own fucking business and go downstairs? Like most captains would have told someone else. Probably. I thought, no, I'll, I'll answer this question. You know, it's a legitimate one, you know, Why not? You know, it's like whenever you're three or four or five or whatever your old child asks you, well, daddy, why not? That's one thing for me with my child, Tim, that I didn't, I tried to make sure I didn't do to him was to say, because I said so. No, I didn't do that because sometimes children are naturally curious. They want to know, you know, they're not saying it to be rebellious all the time. And so I thought about that with this guy, you know, that was my approach to him. But I remembered his name because Brock was easy because you know, I think of Brock and his holding his cock, you know, when he walked up the stairs the first first time I really talked with the guy. You know, I just gotten on the boat the day before or something. That you know, I don't really know this guy. And here he is coming up, and I even told him, I said, "Hey man, if you want, drop your drawers, take your shit." I mean, what's stopping you? You know, I mean, I'm not gonna come over and bum rush you. I would like for you to open up the door or something. You know, I just and to this day, I. I can't say that I have heard of anyone that has had someone just come up into the pilot house, just randomly and start using the bathroom. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I haven't heard of it. And I haven't done that with someone else either. Uh, you know,
0: <laughs> Brock, uh, the, uh, the next story on your list might have, might be an interesting one here to, to, to listen to. Uh, how to barely tap or strike the upper baton rouge bridge yeah that man you talk about something to take the the wind
1: out of a guy's sail that that really just crushed my spirit when it happened but but i thought it was funny because of the end punchline and what you just said was something that whenever i think of that story i think of jimmy brown because at the very end, when it was all said and over with, what he told me on the phone was, he says, Charlie, he goes, I'm not down there looking at it. I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. He says, but I got to tell you, from what I'm hearing, he says, if a guy could barely tap a bridge, it sounds like that that's what you did. I said, I did, Cap, but I did knock that string off fair and square. I mean, I, I knocked the string off on that goddamn bridge. Uh, I hit it at, 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 two tenth, at two tenths of a mile an hour. And what had happened was, and why, I guess, the irony, and why I still see the irony to this day, I guess, just kind of weird, was I I had been assigned to start regular on the Keith Darling at that point in time. And I was waiting for the rotation to come up, for me to start my, my days on it. That to have the work and to keep the pay the paycheck coming in, they kept me working. That they had me ride down on the um, on the Drew Lorette with Captain Charlie Cobb, one of the greatest pilots I've ever worked with in my fucking life, man. And anyway, <laughs> Tim Bone was had been had had been Charlie's deckhand, and then his. Anyway, Tim Tim excelled very quickly. And and anyway, I felt a certain kinship. I still do with Tim because because of how we met. And anyway, they sent me on there because the boat was going south from 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 Cairo instead of going back up the Ohio, which is where Tim had been training. You know, so they so they had me get on there to basically keep him out of trouble. Because he 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 hadn't seen the lower or anything yet. That we're coming down above Wilkerson, and I'm listening to what's out in front of us in terms of the other guys that have already made it, and they're saying, "Yeah, Charlie, the you know dredges and a little digger dredger that damn thing is where the rock outfit was." This is going back, by the way, 15 years ago, I guess something like that. It wasn't yesterday anyway, so I'm coming down and I'm thinking, well, we got 25 because I had just came through there the week prior on the Carol Anne Parsonage. It was about six days prior, same tow, 25, much better boat. The Carol Ann was, and I steered the Baton Rouge span. And I thought ah, I'm not going to try that on this on this Drew Lorette. That's a Jeff boat, buddy, and I don't uh, anyway. There had been some Um, I guess you'd say complaints from Mariners about this little outfit. And when it was a problem, when it became tough, Tim, was when there's just enough water to take the Port Allen span. A pilot wants to, if they're southbound, just, I say once, most most pilots try to, or, you know, just to play it on the safe side, let's go ahead and take that span flank it over there and be done with it type of thing. And because there was enough water to, like I said, I came through there five days prior. There wasn't enough water to, I steered the Baton Rouge span on the Carolina. There was enough water. I thought, I'll go ahead and do it. That if the river is, is rising at a rate, let's say that they don't come in and move in and move their, their shit out of your way or whatever in the past, that had been an issue. Part of that was also going to be operator, Issue as well so I mean I'm not perfect (laughs) But we're coming down above the point Got Tim up there I'm supposed to be keeping him out of trouble Right so we're flanking the point And um, And next thing that you know I'm flanking Around The rock outfit which they got their shit Kind of strewn out there you know I mean It's stretched out from the riverbank and I'm wanting to get Tucked back in there And I'm I'm wanting to get in I'm as tight as I can be, Tim, that the other Tim, the steersman Tim, he's on our he's 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 on the pilot house wing bridge bridge wing talking to me about a buoy, one of the rock outfits buoys that I'm barely clearing. So that tells you I'm trying to make sure that I don't hit their shit, right? But I'm getting awfully close to this bridge. <laughs> and buddy, when I say close, I mean, I knew I was within 100 feet, I knew that. But after that, I mean, in between paying attention to what was going on, I dropped my guard and I'm still floating down. I I, I didn't come ahead on it, I'm just still floating down. But I'm getting in that dead water, a little bit of an eddy and next thing that you know, I'm at two tenths of a mile an hour and bam, damn, I go, whoa! Man, that port string comes flying by. I'm like, oh, sh-. it didn't fly by. It was slow motion because we weren't going fast. But I looked out the window. And I thought, damn it, man! I rang that general alarm, and the boys went out there. They caught the string. I backed right up to it. Is what I just I just knuckled her back and just backed up to it. They grabbed it on on some lines, and we I floated her down through the span. Got out of the traffic sway, Backed in, and we put our tow back together. Coast Guard came out, of course, you know, had to piss test the whole works, all that stuff happens. But the bridge, when I when I when I struck it, the sounder pole that was on the front of that barge was demolished. The barge itself didn't take any dents, damages, or anything. It knocked a string off, Tim, and it didn't dent that barge. It ruined the sounder. It didn't dent it. So Jimmy Brown three or four or five states away is trying to decipher all this, you know, between what I've told him and what he, you know, and that's when he called me and we were, we were going to be getting released to get back underway or whatever it was, we were clear to go. And he says, well, he goes, if you can barely tap a bridge, he says, I think that's what you did. I said, well, I know I knocked a string off on it. So I I mean, I must have done better than tap it. He says, well, and I guess because really the reason why, and maybe you wouldn't know this Tim, but you know, that bridge has been hit before where you'll have literally out of a two hundred foot long barge, a hundred of it sticking out of the water up on a pier, man, that someone will hit it hard enough. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's that is hitting it with some velocity and some speed and some momentum and some get go. I mean, you are getting with the program type of thing that I guess my saving grace was I was backing up because I thought, well, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> Because my mindset at the time, I told Tim as we were going down, I said, "I'm going to back up man because I don't want to. I'm I'm afraid to steer the Baton Rouge span with with the water coming up. It's a little slick, you know, just just enough. But I said, I'm afraid to I'm afraid to take this because there's all this bullshit. But I said, I know one thing: if I if I tap it or hit it going slow, I'm probably going to do a lot less damage than if I'm doing nine or ten miles an hour. And so you know yep so yeah i did i i've hit one bridge in my life and that was it the upper baton rouge bridge and i smacked it at two tenths of a mile an hour buddy knocked the sounder and completely demolished it was like a i don't know how much a sounder is now but yeah i completely demolished the sounder sure did but man oh and i broke the wires but other than that you know we didn't have any damaged product on it, and i felt good about that part of it but i it does, it did make you, it made me feel feel shitty. It took the wind out of my sails because I'm there supposed to keep this guy out of trouble, show him how to do it. Next thing you know, I had to ring the alarm. Charlie's up there with me and thinking, shit, man, don't I feel like a dumbass?" you know? But anybody does it, And let me tell you, everybody wrecks, Tim. You may not hear everybody say it or maybe not everyone admits it, but everybody, everyone has something happen to them within their career uh, just by nature. I mean, you know, I mean, if you if you take your 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 GMC Sierra and you back in and out of the driveway for 40 years uh, with a, a corner on a, a little corner mailbox on the edge of your driveway, you're eventually going to get close to that mailbox. It's going to happen. You know, whether or not you hit it, who knows? But if you do. Statistically, out of how many times you went in and out of your driveway, you're probably OK with it. I'm, thinking. <laughs> I'm not saying that that makes accidents. OK, what I mean is, is Mother Nature is a very unforgiving and powerful force and in the minute that you think that you can that you can that you can have the upper hand you're wrong man so because of that i just tried to chalk it up as what could i have done better you know to not do that again type of thing anytime i had an incident but yeah
0: i hit the upper baton rouge bridge <laughs> well if, if nothing else you show that guy how to do that yes right but uh the next one you had on on your list here was uh pilot house window washing machine oh yeah
1: that that's that's kind of a it's a short story but it's one that uh, i guess you'd say there's an underlying tone as to because of the whole podcast with my with my addiction anyway is the the boat that i was assigned to before just right before I I went and got my pilot's license was the Joy Keller. That's the boat that David Raines and I were on together. And David became first mate. When when he did, we had a senior deckhand. His name was Casey. I forget Casey's last name. It doesn't matter. But Casey became second mate and took David's spot. David Raines' spot. And then Casey he got hurt he's 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 he 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 got hurt casey did and and along with with the physical hurt casey also he was missing his gal boy and he was a good he he knew he was a good deck crew member but he had been working in the fleet so much at cairo i think with that lifestyle of of having a warm body next year that it was killing him being on a live on boat, I think, but he proved himself enough, that he made second mate anyway. So now he's gone and they, and the spot was offered to me, which would have been taking Casey's spot, which was the second mate on that boat. And captain Dan Walker was the captain on that rotate brand new boat, brand new boat. And so I've, I've always been, I guess all of us are to work on the river in some extent, but I've always been somewhat of an odd duck, you know, in terms of, of like, you know, especially whenever I was decking, you know, just to cut up with, you know, with bullshit, you know, have fun, you know, and anyway, I forget exactly what they're what the, system was you do the inside one day the outside the next or something but the windows got done every day one side or the other and part of the morning routine that's for the deck crew to go up on the captain's watch and you know give it a police over you know sweep, mop empty the trash you know normal things have has to be done housekeeping you know and i forget to this day i forget what it was that i said at this point in time But Captain Dan and I had built a rapport a little bit. And uh, he and I very different, which, of course, all of all of us are unique in our own way, but come from very different upbringings. And. uh, I had said something and it was pretty ate up, but this is what he said to me. He said, chuckles. I said, yeah, Kevin, he says, I'm convinced, he says you've either done a lot of really good drugs or you've done at least one time a really bad drug he says because you know and when when he said that and and even now today I still think of that sometimes because I've wondered man am I really just that jolly or gippy or you know But I I had a good time when I was working, you know, like washing the windows. I didn't care if I was washing windows or piloting a boat. I was going to have a good time or I was going to try to. Of course, you know, you got elements and shit against you, but all that happens. And anyway, then to this day, though, I think of whenever I think of Dan, I think of that. And whenever I think of Dan, I I think of my mom as well, ironically enough, because they had the same birth, birth birthday, Dan and my mom did. They didn't know one another. But yeah, he's from Arkansas. Dan the Captain Dan Walker. He's I don't know if he still is. He was over at Arco for years. He's he's a heavy tow pilot. But yeah. And I think and I think of that. That was that was my last period of time that I had spent on deck, you know, before I got licensed. Because on my days off, I went and got my license when I was working on that vessel. think about that now man it's a lifetime ago for for some unfortunately i mean i mean dan i mean look at him now probably all white haired probably but back then he was in his late 30s early 40s you know we all
0: age though <laughs> no
1: no one's escaping it
0: <laughs> uh, the last story you've got on your list but i'm really curious where the hell this one's gonna go but uh what's in my hair conditioner Oh, hair condition. Yeah.
1: Now, this one, I'm not sure.
0: I'm going to be, I'll
1: be G rated enough, but you may want to edit it out. I don't know. So I won't say any names or I might change them to protect the people involved. But Tim, there's a, a certain, I guess you'd say, unwritten, there's certain unwritten rules, I think, within society. But of course, on the boats, There are there are some things I think that are a little more sacred because you are on such a smaller confined area that you can't get away from people, you know. Or um, learning to be learning to coexist with others sometimes is difficult. Anyway, and so because of that, I made it a point when it came to teasing and whatnot that you know when you when you get to a point where okay the teasing's done and now you know type of thing. That I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't want to lower myself to, to ever doing something to like, as far as prank wise, to like someone's food or their drink. I mean, it's one thing, you know, to pull a practical joke on a guy. I didn't really think about messing with, with their food, drink or where they slept. It just, I really thought it was kind of tacky. So I never went that route. But this one time. And here's what I did. I got on a boat, and I was deckhand. And I felt like being part of my responsibility as my chores. I, I would ask the guy that I was working for, Hey, on this vessel, when do you want me to do wake-ups? What kind of coffee? How many scoops should I put in a thing for the guys getting, you know? The routine, you know, what should I do? I get on this boat, and and yes, I'm new to the river at this point that I'm telling you about it for this story. I'm new to the river, but you know, I wasn't born yesterday, type of thing. And anyway, so here's what happened. I get on this vessel, and I introduce myself to the people who need to know me, and the guy that I'm gonna be. working opposite of so he's a peer i guess you would say same same rank so to speak that he he proceeds to talk to me not just like i'm a new lowly decan, which i was but like i'm something other than human you know i felt like he was barking an awful lot of orders and that I didn't hardly hear any please or thank yous involved with it. And I don't, I don't take to that very well when someone speaks to me in that fashion, I just don't, but I know how to conform just like everyone else in life, pay your taxes, you work, you know, I can conform like everybody else. And that's what I thought. Oh, okay. You bitch. So he was very specific and picky about how he wanted his coffee when he When he got woken up and one of the watch rotations, which this happens, by the way, it doesn't happen often, but it happens that there's been no one back to do the wake ups. So you are going to be waking up the opposite crew late because you've been working, you've been busy and there's been no one available, let's say, or you've lost track of time, whatever that might be. And that's what happened. So when he got up for this particular day, he was he was for sure going to be grumpy now because he I mean things just aren't going his way automatically. But he was so worried about his fucking hair. Every time he walked down the stairs, I felt like that the, this guy thought he was more into a a fashion show than a towboat show because because when he got on the vessel. on the muddy riverbank complained about how his shoes and his pants and his this and his that. And I'm sitting there thinking we're fucking grown. It'd be one thing if it was the guy's first trip or something, didn't know I've been catching a boat for how long, a few years. And you didn't know. I mean, if you're, if you're going to catch a boat, there's a chance that you might have to do it on a riverbank. There's a chance there might be mud. If there's that chance, you don't wear your $180 fucking Nikes. You know, you wear your, whatever uh, carhartt or some other kind of boot that can manage that type of thing and all these little things started adding up some frustration in the Chuckman, because from the moment that he got on tracking mud through the boat wanting to blame everybody but himself on top of coming down the stairs on this particular day and starting to chew me a new ass when all i was doing was my job The next time that I was in the shower, I felt like making love to myself. And it just so happens that he and I split a shower. See, And he had this fancy Vidal Sassoon, some kind of 5,000, whatever the model number was, hair conditioner from Switzerland or some shit, I don't know, that he really said was so healthy for his hair that that's where I made my deposit that day was in his hair conditioner bottle. <laughs> and so from that point on, for the rest of the trip, actually, anytime that son of a came down the stairs, you didn't know, he was going to be grumpy. You just didn't know on what level, but anytime he did and he would be flicking his hair, his hand doing that number and how he just looked so fresh. Cause he's got a shower. I had this warm little glow, you know, just, 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 just me knowing at the time. I haven't told that story. I mean, he, he's he still works out there too. But that's the one time I fucked with man shit right there. Was I jacked off into his hair conditioners? What I did by guy, and he used my stuff until I got off the boat. So every time he walked down the stairs, bitching at me, "You're wearing a part of me right now, some bitch."
0: <laughs> that's what I was afraid you were gonna say. Yeah. All right. No, I'm not going to cut that story, but it's your story. This is, this is all stuff you wanted to, uh, Oh yeah. I don't wanted to send it. I
1: mean, if it's legal, put it on or I don't give a shit.
0: I mean, uh, uh <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, you did send another, it, an might, it, might
1: get you, it might get you some reviews or raves that you weren't expecting. You might get a little bump in your business, buddy.
0: Well, uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, <laughs> You you sent another list of an array of topics related to to mental health and some some far more personal, off the boat topics. Uh, I'd like to save those for a follow up meeting with you possibly tomorrow sure. night or this weekend or something. Sure, um,
1: yeah, that'd be good.
0: We've been going almost two hours. I definitely want to want to host you again to cover all that stuff. But um, I oh, just sure, wanted man. to say I I just wanted to say if if anybody mentioned on this episode by by Charlie here. Or anybody out there with questions, uh, comments, anything that you'd like me to to ask Charlie, please shoot me an email at worryatstudios at gmail dot com, and we'll uh, we'll make sure that happens. I, I'm enjoying these conversations, and I hope you are too. Charlie, thanks again, bud. Thank you for
1: having me, Tim. Thanks, buddy. We'll keep in have touch, you, brother. Have a good night, sweetheart. Happy Valentine's Day. You too, brother. See you. This has been a production of. Worry at Studios, LLC.